Hi everyone, and welcome to the Friday Show. It's a show that will go to its grave, insisting that Roller Coaster by Bewitched is a perfect pop song. Mm. <laughs> As it, what was that? Mm. We'll, we'll discuss that in a minute. <laughs> okay. As is normal for a Friday, we're going to be looking at a week of football that has similarly been up and down, like a roller coaster. See what I did there. With Manchester City securing a famous win in Spain, while Chelsea got hammered by Bayern Munich, a club that turned 120 years old yesterday. We'd wish him a happy birthday, but frankly, we don't want to. Join me today to discuss all manner of subjects ranging from the sublime to the Ramos is 9320's biggest hitter, Mr. Howard Hockin. Good morning, Howard. How are you? Good morning. Uh, I'm okay, thanks. Yourself? Just... I'm good. I'm, I'm suspicious as to your scepticism regarding Bewitched. Oh, well, all right. <laughs> I could think... I'm not, I'm not dissing Bewitched. I'm sure I've got a huge canon of brilliant work, but... That sounded very sarcastic. Yeah, I'm sure there's better. Oh, well, yeah, they, they were shy, let's face it, uh, but no. They served the purpose. Perfect pop song for me. You like to diss Liverpool, but they can write a tune in that city. I go Dreaming of You, the Coral, was the first thing ah. that uh, came into my head anyway. Fair enough. I thought when you said Liverpool, you were going to go with the Lars, there she goes. Well, it's not a bad call, but yeah, I don't know. Dreaming of You is just like pop, little, you know... Short song, perfect oh, a, yeah. little package. Great video. Brilliant video. Great band as well, to be fair. Yeah. But they were no bewitched. No. Or Abba. Oh, God. <laughs> Abba. Yes. Who are, of uh, course, the greatest pop band of all time. So. Yeah, but in the same way as Cliff Richard was talented or Queen were good at writing songs. I don't know. It's, I never really got Abba. Uh, well, they are actually... Extremely sad, most of the songs, considering they were divorcing each <laughs> yeah. other whilst they were writing. Well, they're from Scandinavia. Yeah. Have you seen their kind of thrillers? Yeah. <laughs> they were writing in a second language as well. And no, they were divorcing each other, weren't they? And uh, yeah, you know, but behind, behind the jaunty melodies, uh, the the music, there is some uh, very sad lyrics. So yeah, give yeah. them a well, go. Was again. it the <laughs> is that one of their songs? Yeah, just ignore Dancing Queen and that sort of thing and go for the other stuff, you'll be fine. So, Was it The Winner Takes It All where she had to sing the lyrics but he wrote it about the, the two of them divorcing? Yeah, I know. It's just crazy. It's really. Screwed up, that is, do, yeah. Do try My Love, My Life as well because that's a beautiful song. So. Okay. Yeah. All right, well, Angel Eyes was on the radio the other day and it's been an earworm ever since, so... They sure penned some catchy tunes. <laughs> they did. They're those upbeat Scandinavians. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, uh, let's I move sh- on sorry, to... I, sorry, I just watched... I've got to mention that... I watched a documentary once. She actually... Agnetha actually dated her stalker for two years. Oh, yeah, yeah. Which is I, weird. I mean, she didn't that, know yeah. he was a stalker, but obviously he no, knew. We, we, were, we were very happy, to be fair. Yeah, until she found we, out, yeah, so... Well, I know I told her early on, and, and we were very happy. <laughs> oh, very good. <laughs> right, what was her name? I'm probably saying it right, Agnita. Agnita. I I thought it was Agatha. I yeah, I I'm terrible. It's the blonde head, one yeah. <laughs> yeah. What what's wrong with that? Ag- Agnita Fulskog. I don't know. I don't know. So there was one who was redhead and one who was blonde. Yeah. I was merely asking if she was for blonde. Well, Beyond and Benny is easy to remember, is it? Not? So, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Right, let's move on to the football yeah. enough. Let, let's, yeah. 
Yeah. One of the big news stories of this week concerned the banning of heading in practice matches and training for children under the age of 12. The announcement duly prompted the kind of hysterical Facebook posts you might expect that we've all gone too soft and we're living in the grip of a nanny state. But the evidence is out there that suggests that this could be a sensible move, isn't it? Uh, yes. Uh, now, I, I should apologise first that this will be mainly a cup final weekend podcast and I've, I, yes, I've asked for this to be put in on a sombre note to start with, but it is quite an important issue uh, before we get on to, to Wembley. Yes, it, I've got to reiterate there, what's happened is that it's been banned in practice matches only. I've seen under 12 in an article under 11. You know, it's one or the other, not a huge difference. It's practice and training. It's not in competitive matches at any age group. So I think we've discussed off air before. Firstly, when you're you're a kid, you're learning playing football, you're not really that bothered about heading up to the age of 12 anyway. So it's, it's not taking the heart out of anything really by doing this. Uh, now, the fact is we don't really understand the brain whatsoever still to this day much. We're always discovering new bits of it and what it does. But the duty of care to players is more important than anything else. And when you're growing up, the you know, the brain your whole body's growing, you should protect it even more. So this is the first step. And it what it needs in conjunction with this really is much more research. We know Jeff Hassel died, I think, two thousand and five and there's been other footballers who are now uh, developed these, you know, degenerative uh, brain disease in later life. We need to. There is no proof of this, but the evidence is there that there's a huge. It's highly suggestive that there's a connection between heading the ball and uh, health problems in later life and serious health problems. We need more research on this, and in the meantime, it, this is the first a good first step because young people don't need to be heading the ball all the time. A lot of people say, well, you know you'll kill the sport, but we're, we're nowhere near that stage. I don't think anyone's really suggesting that this leads to heading being banned at professional football or even amateur football. You know, we're a million miles from that, so there's no need to jump the gun and say this is where it ends. But I do think of American football and they have a huge problem with this, the, the impact yeah. of that sport. There's always a psychological side that if you pad it up like that, you feel you're invincible the absolute brute strength of the you know of players going crashing into each other has caused huge problems with ex players and some current players as well uh, real you know real uh, brain diseases uh, violence change of character death early deaths uh, so it sh- it shows the brain is obviously may have a skull around it but it's still highly sensitive and cannot take being knocked all the time now obviously sort of football that Jeff Hassel was heading or anyone in the 60s is probably a bit different to nowadays. But we still need to look into this research and we still need to take steps to protect youngsters especially. So, yeah, I think it's all good fun uh, at this stage that they've taken these steps. Well, the research you've done so far is quite disturbing. Uh, in October, a study commissioned by the Football Association found that former footballers are approximately three and a half times more likely to die from neurodegenerative disease than the general population. We, we mentioned, of course, there about Jeff Astle's premature passing, um, something that's been kind of widely believed to have resulted from his playing career. Um, sadly, Manchester City's Dave Watson has recently been announced that he has neurodegenerative disease. 
A condition believed to have come about from con- concussions suffered during his career and the repetitive heading of a football. Um, you mentioned there about the kind of the development of the brain, and I think that's a key thing, really. You know, what we're concentrating on right now is the foundation phase, essentially primary school children. Um, and I, when I saw this story, what I thought of was boxing, and you know, you wouldn't even dream of putting an eleven-year-old or a ten-year-old who's who's learning to box into a ring. Uh, without putting some headgear on him. Um, can anyone tell me that a, a punch thrown by a 10-year-old boy is going to be any harder than a football plummeting down f- to earth from a goal kick? Um, and, of course, another key factor is the fact that, as you said, it is in practice games and in training. I think back to when I played football, and all I did was play football as a kid. I'm sure I'm not alone there. I barely headed the ball. When did you ever head the ball when you're that age? It's all about, you know, the basics, tackling, passing, um, and you, you pretty much just keep the ball on the deck. And um, So, yeah, looking at it overall, you could make the argument that people are, are urge, erring too much on a side of caution. But given the subject matter, given the evidence that we have at our disposal, um, then that would lend itself to being a situation where we probably should be cautious because what we lose out on isn't a great deal compared to what we could, you know, ultimately save. So, yeah, I, I was, I'm all for it. I do get the other kind of argument. Uh, I do understand that. Um, but if it's if it's safety first, then we're talking about kids, aren't we? And, and then the other thing as well, um, you, again, something you touched on, Howard, where you compared the footballs of yesteryear to today, you can also compare the footballs of today to the match day balls of today. Um, so the thought of, you know, professional football, this kind of, you know, encroaching into professional football is an absolute fallacy. Matchday footballs are significantly lighter than even the balls used in training at Premier League clubs. Um, so that's just never going to be a factor, I don't think. Uh, it's certainly unimaginable at this point. But, uh, um, yeah, but Bournemouth have actually banned heading from their academy, so... Well, it, they are talking about kind of uh, the development of this and, and the kind of the, uh, what we call a graduated approach. So it might well go up to kind of, you know, uh, the under-16s at some point and the under-18s. That might well be the case. Um, so that doesn't surprise me. Um, but I can't see it going beyond that point. It really is about the developing brain um, because when you get to a fully developed adult, then... As I said, there's a huge, huge difference between the footballs of today and, you know, the, the leather, rock-hard footballs headed by the likes of, you know, uh, Jeff Astor, Dave Watson in the kind of you know, the 70s. And particularly, of course, the footballs from earlier on, you know, because there's a lot of the 66 Cup winners team, haven't they, who have kind of suffered from this, which has really brought it to prominence. But again, the footballs used to, you know, in the early 60s, vastly different to the footballs today. Yeah, um, but well, yeah, resembling a medicine ball, I would think compared to today's. Mm, absolutely, yeah. But I mean, if you disagree with me, if you disagree with Howard, let us know on Twitter because it's a fascinating subject. And you know, you mentioned there about uh, what's like in America and American football and all the concussions suffered, and um, you know, it could well develop where it it grows in stature. This story in Britain, uh, as our awareness grows with it. Um, so yeah there's plenty more mileage left in this and let us know on Twitter if you disagree but for now personally for under 12s under 11s 
I, I think it's just a sensible move. And on that note, um, let's look at the actual football itself for this week. Um, what caught my attention was another good win for Leeds uh, at Middlesbrough. The Yorkshire club are now an extremely slim 1-16 to to gain promotion. Staggering odds, uh, considering they've had a, a serious winter dip in results. Are they heading back to the Premier League, Howard? And if so, how do you feel about that? Yeah, one sixteen. I'm surprised about that. The Fulham got a late last-minute winner, I think. Uh, keeps Leeds five points ahead, but they seem to have got a bit of their form back, so that's probably why the odds are so short. Uh, Bielsa's burnout doesn't hasn't quite, you know, carried on as some suspected. Mm. Uh, I'd absolutely love it. I, t- I, I don't. I don't like the club <laughs> and I'd absolutely love it to be in the Premier League because it, it would just be far more interesting. I lived in Leeds for five years as well, so I do have a soft spot for the city. But that's a very separate thing to the football club itself, but it will just be far more interesting you know, to have Leeds there than certain other teams that just swill around, just surviving with, you know, that I don't really give much thought to. And, you know, I'm sure they're not too offended me saying that. Uh, they'll get over it, but. Just, yeah, just imagine Leeds in the, with a big fan base, that the ground, passionate, troublesome, uh, Bielsa, in the, <laughs> Bielsa in the Premier League. I mean, the last time I went to yeah. Ellen Road, I can't remember what year it was, uh, Leeds was still on the up, or was certainly better than City, who were lower in the Premier League. Paolo Wonchop flew in from Costa Rica duty, international duty, scored at least once, inspired City to a win. And boy, it was ugly outside the ground afterwards. Uh, it's just a case of creeping out the ground and hopefully, hoping no one talked to you. So it will be interesting and eventful to have them back here. But I just feel they're one of a number of teams. I don't go on the romance of the teams, but you know... You think of away days for fun fans. That's how they pick the teams they want to come up. So that's West Brom. For some, were not exciting football wise. The style of football, it's still quite a, a great. It's a great away day. You, know, you can go to Birmingham and just go over to the the ground, which is the highest in England for useless fact of the day. Yeah, most uh, central point. Yeah, and you, you know teams like knocking on the door. Sheffield Wednesday aren't going to do it this year, but you Knott's Forest and teams like that. You just yeah, I just have good memories of going to these grounds uh, and it would be nice to see teams like this, you know, some of them get back into the Premier League. Well, I mean, I half agree. Um, I've had some of my best away days at West Brom at Hawthorns, yeah. um, but West Brom are boring. Yeah. They're boring. They're boing, boing, up, down, up, down, make your mind up and ideally just stay down. They offer very little um, in terms of, you know, kind of as an opposition fan. Whereas Leeds, you know, they're ferocious support, aren't they? Uh, it's a, it's a yeah. huge club, uh, highly passionate. Sorry, I was just going to attack by my cat. And um, <laughs> I was. I think she's a Leeds fan. <laughs> or not. Uh, or not, yeah. Yeah, but what it comes down to for me is, you know, if you're looking at the fixtures kind of three weeks in advance and it says Man City v West Brom, yeah, you know, 2-0 win. Yeah. Home to Leeds... Yeah, bring it on. There's a frizzing of excitement there. So, um, yeah, I think they've got a lot to offer, Premier League, Leeds United. You mentioned Bielsa. Um, and I'd be fascinated to see him pit his wits against the likes of Pep. Um, but just the club as, in itself as well. 
uh, and, and ultimately they hate Manchester United almost as much as we do so that's an admirable trait in itself yeah and if you go to the away match you can just do the Otley run first which is mm. a good four miles of pubs actually I would not do that because you won't make it to no. the match to be honest no, no. Uh, but yeah but, I mean, be, it'll be interesting uh, one thing they won't be able to do is rip off away fans because uh, they can only charge £30 in the Premier League and that's been part of the problem that they seem to be trying to cash in a lot on you know doing quite well but yeah, uh, yeah it's not for the fans it's for the Premier League to make more interesting and I, I would like Bielsa's the more interesting angle for me I just yeah. think it would be quite fascinating to see what he does in the Premier League it's a bit wasted for me in the Championship OK well, let's move on now to our fixture in focus, which this week is Brighton v Palace. A very weird fixture in many ways, um, particularly for kind of outsiders, as it were, uh, which include me and Howard, because we see this as a game where there's plenty of hatred, plenty of rivalry, to the extent where, you know, it's almost termed a traditional derby, and yet it takes an hour to get to each ground by car. Um, geographically, they're poles apart, but in any other regard, you know, the hatred's very real there, isn't it? Um, how do you view, not so much for fixture this weekend, but the kind of the two clubs and their relationship with one another? A yeah, flip, flip-flop on this. First thought, don't be ridiculous. Rivalry, it's just fabricated. But then, mm. you know, rivalries, as we've just discussed, Leeds and, you know, wait till they're playing Manchester United. Uh, yeah, rivalries yeah. don't exist within a city boundaries. You know, it's just not how it always works. And then Liverpool, City now, Liverpool United all the time. You know, Liverpool, obviously Liverpool and Manchester have their history with you know, canals and stuff in the 19th century. <laughs> I started off, but I'm pretty sure Liverpool and Man United fans did have uh, some huge rivalry in the 50s, 60s. That's something that's developed. And I guess with Brighton and Crystal Palace, it helps as a football team that you have a hated team. It just makes every day. Every, an enemy, every, don't you? every yeah. time I get to Derby Day, I go, I hate this day. I wish it never happened. Blah blah blah. But deep down, my life would be pretty boring if if Derby Day didn't exist. And we'd have some some of our greatest memories would be would not exist either. Uh, you need a rival, and Crystal Palace and Brighton have found one. <laughs> they both uh, needed one, and they found one. It's bizarre, yeah. If you read up on it, it's just two managers who hated each other. Uh, in like was it seventy six or something? Alan Mullery, Terry Venables, yep. the two teams. I think just by fate had to play them each other five times that season. Managers fell out. It the fans were slagged off by managers that the fans started falling out. A uh, bit of fighting outside the grounds. A rivalry started, and it's been there ever since. <laughs> and it seems ridiculous because, but then all rivalries probably have their their origins in something small. Inconsequential that just snowballs. So the hatred, as I think you could confirm, you've probably read up on this, is quite real. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I know a few Palace fans and they loathe Brighton, absolutely loathe them to the extent where, you know, you almost suspect that they'd be happy to go down as long as he, you know, beat them in the two games uh, over the season. I mean, the origins are, are fascinating and bizarre, and as it should be, really. You know, I, I love that. I love that it started because basically Terry Venables and Alan Murray were managers of their respective clubs. Um, they didn't like each other because uh, they had a, a beef that went back 10 years prior. Because when they were both at Spurs, uh, Mullery was uh, appointed captain 
and Venables thought it should have been him. So the two fell out. Um, Mullery, after a win, went over to the opposing fans during one of those five games. And uh, this I can't recall, but he he, he did something. He, he threw a coin, did he? Or he, he, I think he put a, a, a pound note on the floor and stood on it or something and, and shouted, that's all you're worth. It was something like that anyway. Yeah. Uh, and that's when it really kicked off. And of course, it was just a, a bizarre thing that they played five times over the course of one season. And in three or four of those games, those controversies and kind of, you know, comebacks and all kinds of stuff. And then that's it. That's all it really amounts to. But what what fascinates me, and I think fascinates you, I think we've talked about this before, when talking about the origins of kind of, um, you know, rivalry, is how much of it is nature and how much nurture. Because, you know, Palace fans aren't naturally inclined to hate Brighton fans and vice versa. But their older brother will hate them and you know their dad will hate them and, and you know, they're told to hate them from a very early age. And so this is a rivalry that's not going to go away. If anything, it's only going to intensify because it will become richer with history. Um, so yeah, I'm really looking forward to watching it. It's a lunchtime kickoff. Is it on, it's on BT, isn't it? I always get confused about which has the early game. I think BT's, the, yeah, I think BT's the lunchtime game. Um, so I'll be watching it because they they do not like each other one bit. Well, it's an important game. I mean, three points is much Absolutely. needed. Absolutely. Well, I'm not. No, actually, if we concentrate on the home side, um, Brighton have won just once since the start of December uh, and have become draw specialists of late. How, how do they convert those stalemates into wins? Yeah, some deep tactical analysis now. Score more goals in the opposition during right. more games. Have you have you forwarded this to Graham Potter? <laughs> well, I sent an email to Michael Cox, but he's not replied. But maybe it's gone into his spam folder. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Uh, normally, it's about goals, isn't it? Now it's easy for when your team's got Sergio Aguero and everyone behind him and Jesus. It's not easy for a team that's looking to survive in Premier League to just go out there and buy some big name. But league goals. I mean, Brighton have not scored... They've not won this year. So the last win was oh, December the 28th, I think. Now, they're not getting thrashed. They're not losing loads of games. As you said, lots of draws. But Morpé is their top scorer with eight goals. Then you've got three players on three goals, which are second top. I've seen that's just league games. Now, that is a terrible to have your second joint second highest scorer on three. Pretty yeah. much tells you where they're at. Uh, they've got a... You know, supposedly innovative manager in Graham Potter who wants to, he's flexible, he's got players that he wants to play out from the back, he looks at half spaces, plenty of similarities to City, but obviously doesn't have the same squad uh, to use. Uh, he's, you know, he likes to press and get it wide sometimes, he's used th- at least three different forma- formations. So the organisation is there, I mean there's three all from against West Ham stands out as a crazy game. But generally, there's not they're not full of goals their games, and that's the problem. They're just they're not getting thrashed, but they just can't get over the line in games, and they just lack for me that goal threat that yeah you know, could easily just one poacher or one other player to help Mopay that could have got them just higher up the table and a bit safer. Mm, like defensively, they're not too bad, are they? No. They've only conceded two more than Chelsea. Um, but as you alluded to there about the kind of the fine margins in their results, 
uh, and the difference a goal scorer would make. I mean, in the last 14 games, only two have been decided, whether it's for or against the Seagulls, by a single goal margin. And given how priceless three points are in comparison to one right now in their situation, yeah, you, you do look up top, don't you? And yeah. You do look at um, Wapay, and, and he's doing a fine job. That's, that's, don't be wrong, yeah, yeah, he's he a big is. jump up from Brent, Brentford. Yeah, but it's, it's as you say, to those around him, kind of no one's chipping in. Um, and what they wouldn't give to have a proven 15 goal a season goal scorer. Um, but they're hard to find. If you're Brighton and you go out each summer, you can't afford, or you certainly can't attract over your kind of peers, um, you know, a, a proper proven goal scorer of that ilk. Uh, you have to take a gamble. You have to take a gamble on someone who, who's maybe done it in the Belgium league or, or what have you. Um, and and these gambles haven't really paid off for the Seagulls in recent years. So, yeah, that's what they're short of, but that's also what's very hard to come by. So, um, in the short term, though, we've got Palace. I mean, a win on, on Saturday, that'll be a huge boost to them. Um, and it'll, the table's so tight down there that a couple of wins and suddenly you're mid-table rather than, you know, in, in relegation trouble. So... Um, there's no need for panic I'd say at this point but yeah they need a couple of players to step up don't they and kind of make the difference yeah they, yeah, they played a different game got a draw at Sheffield United which is a good result mm, yeah great that's result. for Palace it's just you know, I thought they were in trouble at some point but they've probably got the nous and the experience and the manager there just enough game change if Saha stays fit and they've got IU and Townsend coming in they've just got enough to you know, when we saw when we played them, they're pretty well organised as well. Yeah, yeah. Probably got enough goals yeah. in them to just to get enough three, you know, three points and keep themselves clear of danger. So, well, I'm kind of banking on a a draw. That's where my money's going anyway. Yeah, um, I think just so. because. Yeah, both both teams would be you know neither happy nor kind of uh, sad at such a result and. and Given the circumstances, that tends to be how this plays out. And the fact that Brighton, my God, they can't stop drawing right now. So. <laughs> yeah. So let's turn our attentions now to Wembley. Wembley, we're the greatest Woo-hoo. Man City. <laughs> we're after Wembley once again. And we could even kind of keep the tournament and close the whole competition down if we win, because that'll be three times yeah. in a row. That's how it works, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, Jules Rimet trophy coming back to Manchester. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So, I mean, we're still buzzing for Madrid, obviously, and now we've got Wembley on the horizon, and this is what it's all about this t- time of the season. Um, City boasts a 17-1 aggregate score over Aston Villa from recent times, and comprehensively beat them last month in the league. Surely, though, this will be a tight affair, given it's a final? Yeah, that's your immediate thought, is it? It's a final. And then you think, well, we'll beat Watford 6-0. But Watford... What's overlooked about Watford is... Not only they missed a good chance at 0-0, I think it was 0-0, uh, or good save from Edison at least, but that they played suicidal tactics in the second half that <laughs> pretty much played into our hands. So the question is, how do Villa approach this? You know, they're at Wembley, do they feel they need to play an open game, which could play into City's hands, or will they play you know, deep block, be organised, keep it narrow, and make life difficult, which is what they should do, of course, and there's no guarantees... You take the six one out. I think with Villa they're struggling, but they're not. They're not Norwich struggling. They're not getting turned over week in week out. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Take the six one out against City, and it's yeah. There's plenty of close games there. They're just you know like Brighton away. They're not winning enough, and they can't get a run together. 
Yeah, you need to win two, just win three or so near the bottom, and you're right up the table. And they're just coming short, but they're not a bad side. But they obviously, I think they're eighteen to one to win this. They are huge, huge underdogs. Yeah, yeah. City have been here before. You know, it's not complacency is the last thing we'd want from this. And surely the City players know that they're not just going to stroll onto the pitch and win this. So it'll be interesting. As much obviously, Claudio Bravo is in net for City. Some may say. We'll that's a great level. Yeah. It's another storm heading across the country, but hopefully that's gone <laughs> that's gone by the time we kick off. It, you just yeah, that it's kind of an unknown because it's it's Wembley and it's it's how the players approach playing on that stage as well. Yeah, you know, City well, obviously City are more used to it. Villa themselves have played there twice in playoffs, but I don't know how many actual players are still there or be be on the pitch on Sunday. But for winning tournaments, yeah, they've not won some anything since '96, I think. So, yeah, the, the last time they won a, a tournament, I, yeah, appreciate with the playoffs is different. Last time they won a cup competition, um, the produce fire start was number one. <laughs> so that's how far back that goes. But you mentioned there about how the team might approach it and precisely what team that will be. Um, some of it's actually fairly easy to kind of predict I think in this occasion which is a rare thing to say about any Pep Guardiola side but we would expect Sergio to start wouldn't we after um, being benched in midweek yeah well he has a brilliant goal scoring record against Villa but I'm not sure Pep will use that as reasoning for the no. for the team he picks but yeah I do I do expect him to start yeah. um, Raheem to start um, assuming he's fit enough Absolutely, I, I mean, you know, it's the impossible task again. We know Bravo has start. We know the ports out injured. So, and I had Sane, won no chance. I just don't see him. Oh, no. He's no. got weeks and weeks of training. I think. Yeah. There's a small. Well, there's a small possibility he could make a ten minute appearance, but I, we don't know about that. How far along? And I don't think City will be in a rush. And the last time he played at Wembley. It all went horribly wrong, so maybe rather stay away anyway. It's, <laughs> I think, you know, Laporte's out, Fernandinho probably comes back in in the middle, and I don't know who will play alongside Otamendi or Stones. I think Otamendi may come in because the perceived threat of Villa may come from set pieces and crosses, and that physical presence again might be key. Uh, you know, we discussed why did Otamendi play against Madrid, and it was, well, maybe because. Madrid was perceived to be dangerous from crosses and set pieces. In the end, yeah. they only got one corner Real Madrid, so it just shows how good City stifled them that night. I've, I've got a feeling the back, yeah, like Mendy and Walker may keep the places. Roger will play, and then you're just tossing. You know, Kevin De Bruyne will play, but I don't know. I just don't know. I mean, I don't have huge preferences. It's, will David Silva play in his final season at Wembley? Mares, Bernardo. I, I don't think Phil Foden will play. I don't have strong preferences, really. It will mm. be a strong team, basically, either way. Yeah, strong team, and, and I'd hope to go with the strongest full-backs uh, currently, I should say, as well, which is you know Kyle Walker and Mendy. Um, you know, this is a cup final. You know, I rate Zinchenko hugely. I like Cancelo, but you would hope to go with Walker and, and Mendy, who have, have both kind of individually picked up quite a bit of momentum of late, I think. Um so yeah, I'm totally with you on the back two as well. Uh, Rodri to start. I personally think it would be David starting uh, final season, a bit of sentimentality maybe, but I think he'll get the go-ahead over Gundo De Bruyne. 
Um, it's a tough call, Mares or, or Bernardo. I think he'd go for Mares I, with um, I think Sterling and Aguero. Yeah. What's that? Sorry, I, I don't know. My hunch is Bernardo, but you think Bernardo? Yeah, what yeah. A hunch means nothing to be honest. Uh, I mean, we just know with Gundogan, we just know he's a he's a Champions League player that Pep trusts in that competition. So I'd say he's less likely to play in a Carabao Cup final. Yeah. So we look at Villa and we look at the threats that they possess. Um, really, it kind of comes down to Jack Grealish. Um, that's largely down to their injuries they've had. They have been very unfortunate with injuries, as to be said. Um, if Jack Grealish has a quietish game, I fancy us to go on and really kind of do something, you know, like a 5 0 or a 6 0. Uh, I'm going to stick my neck out here. How do you ultimately see it playing out? Kind of, um, are you confident of a win? Well, yeah. I mean, I don't know if the Madrid result has a bearing on this, but surely, mm, surely the players will. are in good mood. Now, that could, yeah. the only way that could backfire is complacency and over-celebration. Uh, but surely they, they know they're coming to Wembley for a cup final. It may not be the Champions League final, but it's still Wembley in a final. They are surely focused when they go on that pitch and they will be buzzing after that result. And since the UEFA ban announcement, the, the players have pretty much played it perfectly uh, you know uh, eased themselves in with West Ham which felt like a training match got that big result at Leicester and now Real Madrid if they played to their full capabilities City should win this comfortably that don't mean they'll thrash uh, Aston Villa uh, there's a bit of a myth about the pitch being huge which would suit City but I think there's a psychology psychological aspect to that that people see the huge stands around the pitch and think the pitch mm. itself is bigger. I do think it is bigger than quite a few Premier League, uh, wider than a few pitches, but it yeah. does a yard here where they make a difference. Well, it may do. So the way I see it going, I don't think City will just come out of the blocks and score, be 3-0 up after half an hour, but I do, I'm confident that late in the game, Villa may tire more than City, because City are surely, whatever happens, will dominate the ball. Would dominate possession. That's exactly my thinking. I think it'll be very tight in the first half. I think it's mentally tiring as well playing there. So that's a key thing as well. If City dominate the ball, Villa have to keep the Villa players have to keep the concentration for ninety minutes. I think and should, perhaps more I mentally tiring for Villa. Strongly, so. Yeah, and I think it'll be more mentally tiring for Villa. I think they're going to throw the kitchen sink at City in the first half, first half hour at least. It's a huge day for them, um, and I don't mean that in any patronising way. You know, it's their first cup final for many years. So, yeah, I think in the second half, uh, City will really turn the screw um, and the kind of dominance will change the chances and the chances will change the goals. And I can really see this being ultimately a comfortable win, um, but certainly not in the first half. Um, As for Sarno, I think he's playing for the under tw- or featuring for the under-23s tonight, so... Uh, I thought you were going to say under 12s then. So he's not allowed <laughs> yeah. to head the ball. No. <laughs> uh, so, obviously, step up is getting some match fitness in. You know, youth games. Yeah. I say reserve. We used to have a reserve side, of course, but we don't really have a reserve side anymore. But yeah, he's not going to feature on Sunday. So. No, there's, there's a possibility he could be on the bench against Sheffield Wednesday. Um, yeah. Yeah, no way this weekend. It's just, it's simply not going to happen. For one thing, um, you know, Pep will, won't want to kind of deprive uh, a player of, of, you know, what a, a 16 place. Yeah. who has been involved in the whole journey to get true, to the final. So. Um, right, let's kind of end with this, with a heavy sigh, the subject of attendance must be raised. 
Um, City have struggled to sell out their capacity uh, and there's a chance over horror that one or two empty seats might be speckled around here and there, particularly kind of in the higher regions of the pricing, the £150 bracket. Villa fans who last went to Wembley when the Spice Girls were around have indulged in some Mickey taken on social media, which is quite rich really considering that their past record of deserting their team in droves when the going gets tough. Can you bear the bants? Can't bear the word bants or <laughs> you know it's yeah. gonna happen. You know that on Sunday there's gonna be a Villa fan who isn't at Wembley uh, and he'll screenshot it on off a telly and he'll t- try and take the piss out of City and then it'll get picked up by a, a, a media organisation to say, oh, these Villa fans aren't very impressed with City, here's why, and it'll be a discussion point. Yeah, don't care anymore. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, so there's £150 tickets left, which is a disgraceful price for a ticket for a, a League Cup final. Yeah. Uh, it's, I wouldn't pay that for the Euros final match. You know, semi-final, quarter-final, it's... Well, I won't play it for anything, to be honest. I've never have reached that amount for any match ticket, uh, even. I wouldn't I wouldn't see that for, the you know, the Smiths reforming. No. It's... 150 quid is, you know, it's a price of a holiday, isn't it? It's it's well, ridiculous. The price of the weekend is, yeah, literally, yeah. When you factor in... away in Spain or Italy or something. Well, exactly. When you factor in the price of, you know, food and you could be taking a kid and you could be going with someone else and, and you know, staying over maybe, a travel, of course, um, drink, oh, it, it really adds up. And, you know, when you think that City have been... Uh, 16 times in nine years now. Uh, this is the fifth time in the past year. Um, even if you you offer a conservative estimate of around the £200 mark all in for one person, that's a hell of a lot of money. A hell of a lot of money for a game of football. And fine, as a one-off for Villa fans, I'm sure they're more than happy to pay 200 quid. Um, but when it's the fifth time in the past year, which would make it £1,000 in the last year or 16 times in the last nine years... It becomes a different proposition then. You do, as City fans now, which is an incredible thing to say, have to pick and choose when to go to Wembley. For the first time, I'm not going, so... Right, right. Since this run started, I think, so... Because I can't afford to, you know, simple financial... Mm. uh, Well, I think I'm not going. still a possibility. (laughs) (laughs) But I know people looking for spares this week, you know, message boards. They're not interested in the £150 ones. They're not... They're not paying yeah. that stupid price. City could have sold this out, uh, but there's only a certain very small minority who would be prepared to pay that amount of money. Is, to sorry, to Howard, sorry to interrupt, but is that City or is that Wembley? That would be Wembley, wouldn't it? It's, yeah, sheer principle more than anything. So they'd rather not go than pay that. And no, I, no, what, what I mean, sorry, mate, when you say the £150, the reason why they're £150, that's on Wembley, isn't it, not on City? Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, £900 million stadium to pay off, so every bit that can be eked out. I think semi-finals are there when they shouldn't be. It's They've got this this stadium to pay off, basically. Uh, But there's even a sub-level, banter-level, barrel-scraping level that's... It probably started when we played Liverpool in the League Cup final, and it's not even if you sell out now, it's how quick you sell out. It's like, oh, oh we've God. sold out in two days and City's still selling them the week after. And these dullards can't even work out that the ticket criteria might be different with a different club and that speed of sale 
Can it get more boring than that? Can we? Is there anywhere to go yes, on the can. internet can. after you've gone it for can. limbs? That's the next one. Limbs. Limbs. How City fans were kind of um, mocked for having celebrated a penalty in Madrid. So fans who have paid hundreds of pounds to go midweek and travel to another country to watch their team play, and they see a penalty, and who throws limbs about after a penalty? It's just not possible to, because it's done in such kind of increments for goal itself. Um, and someone took a, a you know a short video, whatever it was, put it online and said, oh, God, look at these losers. Well, really, who's the loser there? You know, it's these kind of pathetic fan accounts um, but even more pathetic is the fact that they're now picked up by mainstream media who, as I said earlier, will say, oh, God, look what City fans have done. And it's become part of the culture now, kind of mocking fans for their behaviour and how they celebrate and how many seats they sell. And, it, oh, God, it's getting so tiresome. I think this all comes back to how we discussed how to use the internet in future in our media. Yes, yeah, uh, yeah. One we did yeah. behind, you know, was for su- subscribers uh, and how, well, how you treat Twitter in the future, and this is very pertinent. I say, yeah, I mentioned that the footy limbs one uh, was brilliant early. Don't you know, it first came on the, the scene, and I think yeah. City at Blackpool was the one that got the most retweets. <laughs> Crazy pull, like goal. I mean, I'm told it's poor. Like, there's, there's, there's so many limbs on and off the pitch that really you can't even tell what, what on earth's going on. Yeah, uh, I think I scored. And when footy limbs started giving scores, you know, like 10 out of 10 for limbs, you just knew where this that account was going. It was yeah. going to enter the mainstream snide side of Twitter and social media where it just mocked fans just clapping a goal as all fans do in all grounds for certain goals because that's how it makes its its money and how it will become successful by mocking and that is pretty much where we are on social the, media. The, the guys who I've met who kind of run these kind of accounts um, I've, I've met some from time to time in kind of you know, my line of work and they're always the same and, and please forgive me out there if you have a name Jeremy but they're all called Jeremy <laughs> They're all kind of, you know, late 20s, um, you know, the daddy's bought them a nice car, um, you know, and very middle class. Just jealous, and aren't they? Well, no. <laughs> and and they just, they use the word bants, unironically. Um, and you, you see them and, and you're pleasant to them, but you're also thinking, I can exactly understand how you've came to start up an account like you, you have on Twitter um, with the word Bible in it or lads or whatever it is. Um, and people respond to it. I mean, we're doing it now as, as if irrelevant. Um, yeah, let, let's set up lads banter Bible bus Twitter account tomorrow. <laughs> let's take over. I'd love Twitter. that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But ultimately, it, it doesn't matter. And what does matter is the fact that we're going to Wembley and what Wembley means to us as fans. Um, I haven't been as many times as you have, but when I've gone, um, I've yet to go on a train. I really want to go on a train, <laughs> but um, I've been on a coach and I've been on a bus. And one of the highlights for me is stopping off at the services yeah. um, and just seeing all a sea of other blues and, and people coming up to you and kind of, you know, recognising you from Twitter or whatever. And I, I love that. Um, and I also love as well the fact that when you go to the Etihad, you know, obviously, you're surrounded by the same faces every week. Some you get to know, some you don't. Everyone's familiar. Uh, at Wembley, it's all different, isn't it? And, and you know, last occasion, there was a, a family on our left who we were chatting to throughout. There was two girls in front of us we were chatting to throughout. 
and it's a lovely, you know, little kind of community in itself, really, of who you're seated nearby. Um, it's just a fantastic day, isn't it? It should never, it'll never get boring, really. No, God, no, second no. home, it's always the same experience of the day. There's even train tactics now because we've been there that long. Don't get the first one because it gets delayed. Get the twenty past eight train. Oh, really? Uh, I have a. A veto and alcohol until 9 a.m. <laughs> that well, sounds that terrible. Sensible. Yeah, yeah. But you know, yeah. people are drinking early and you, you find your pub in London. <laughs> you used to get in the early days, you'd be the green man or you'd be near the ground, but now you find bits of London and you know, you're congregating near Euston, perhaps, you know, Exmouth Arms in the day and going up Wembley Way. And yeah, it's, it is Wembley. It's, it costs too much. It, it's not brilliantly put together, but it's still Wembley. It's still a final. It still means everything. And they say the experience of the day, going away, staying over, coming back, it's just, it's like a holiday in a way. It yeah. is. And it, it never gets boring. That trip down to London never gets boring for me. Yeah. The Weatherspoons brekkie is always a highlight, I have to say. Well, <laughs> it always is. Yeah. It's, I just, love, I, you know, I often have a Weatherspoons brekkie, but there's nothing like, a, you know, a going to Wembley Weatherspoons brekkie. Just tastes that much nicer. Yeah, it's just, uh, as I say, just getting on, getting your seat, getting your food and drink out, and yeah, and it's like last year it was glorious sunshine as well. So it felt it felt like the FA Cup final last year. So. You yeah. value it with semi-finals and stuff, but yeah, it's still a, a special occasion, and it will be on Sunday, of course. Yeah, you know, just the pomp and ceremony beforehand as well that you always get. It's just a bigger. Everything's just a bit bigger into it when it's at Wembley. So. It is more meaningful, and you know ultimately as well that kind of history is being made. Your club's history is being made. It's being carved out right in front of you. Um, you know, that in itself is the most meaningful aspect of all I guess and this started um, at Wembley really it started with you know for you maybe United semi-final meant more at Wembley but both of mm. them and the Stoke is where this journey really began for me uh, yeah. seeing well thanks Carlos Tevez wasn't it just seeing your, your captain or your team walk up those steps and lift the trophy that was something as a kid I didn't think I'd ever see or even as a teenager mm. so yeah and as, of course it's February, getting a trophy in February. They do say that it can be a boost if City win or whoever wins, it can be a boost for the rest of the season. And City are in the, the process or in the, you know, what they're doing is trying to accumulate trophies and they all count. The yeah. League Cup will never be the biggest trophy in the world, but if we, if this is our fourth one, uh, that's four more trophies we've put in the last decade and four amazing experiences, so... You know, every little helps. You say how big it is when we've won the league. If we just won the league, that would have been a great season. But if you win the league yeah. and you win the, the league cup with it, it's just like the icing on the cake in a way. It makes that, you know, two-trophy season just makes it that little bit more special. Absolutely. And what a way to end. Um, yeah, just whoever's going on Sunday, have a great time. Yeah. Enjoy it and stay safe, of course. And in the meantime, beforehand... You know, check out other pods and blogs that's available on the 9320 platform. There's loads of quality con- content out there, all city-related, so give it a whirl. Um, thank you for joining me today, Howard. A pleasure as always. And as always, up the blues. <laughs>